0: Okay, today is April 6, 2010, and I was supposed to read this to everybody Sunday, and I had the computer blues, and I forgot to do it. So, this is the um, seventh annual spring barbecue uh, bash at Billy John and Lori's house. And it's a lot of fun. It's the same day as the what do they call it? Bluebonnet Festival in um, Chapel Hill. He lives within walking walking distance from the feast, the festival. The feast is at his house, and yeah, it's close. Um, he says, uh, if you want to bring something, you can bring an appetizer, desserts, drinks for your family, fishing tackle, and lawn chairs. And <clears throat> I will have this. I'll put this on the bulletin so people can uh, see how to get there if they want it or if you would like. We'll make copies for you here. And just you can, you can have this and have the directions on it right here. It is uh, Saturday, April the 10th. At 10 to 5 p.m. Okay. Garth, you better get a copy. Garth, you're going to enter the 21st century before it's over. You're going to die hard. Okay. You have a lot less stress in your life. You're really the smart one. But once you get on it, you get hooked on it, it's, it's an addiction. you got to get those emails and take up your time and all. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You are our God, omnipotent, omniscient, full of grace and mercy. You've revealed the great things to us in order for us to have hope, confidence in the promises that You have made throughout Your Word. We need to have the good sense to know those promises and depend on them and live our life in the light of eternity. So we pray that you will help us to focus tonight, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Got a dilemma here. I reach for my pocket to get my glasses, and they're not there. Let's see. I had backup glasses in my computer case, but I think I took them out. Are those reading glasses? I mean, I can't tell. I I would if he could read. Okay, sorry about that. He's the one just gave me glasses. That's how I was thinking. See. Okay, yeah, I can read that fine, but I have to get kind of like this. I'll tell you what. I'll just do it like this, huh? Okay. All right. Okay, they're the same. <laughs> no, they might be a little different. These, are, these are little. <laughs> See what he said? That's what really matters, you know. Okay. We're going to begin again in First Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to start reading there, and go at least up to verse four and five maybe a little beyond that, to kind of get the flavor of what he's saying in chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come From error or impurity or by way of deceit, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. I think we'll stop right there because that's where we ended us on um, verse 4. And we we're starting tonight with verse four. But just as we have been approved by God. This is good on the in the text here, but when I look at this wow on the big text. Is it up there? Okay. Um, have been approved by God that have been approved is dokimanzo. D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. It's a verb. Perfect, passive, indicative. Remember, we went over this last time. We ended here. And when we have a perfect passive, we like to slow down because that is the author telling us something. He could have used a simple aorist there, which is really nondescript. It's not telling you anything other than it happened. When you have the perfect tense, it's telling you that something, an action was completed in the past, And it's focusing on the results of that completed action. So, it means to be tested, approved, to try, prove, discern, or distinguish, and approve. It has the notion of proving a thing whether it is worthy or not. God had tested Paul's method and motivation in giving the gospel and had given his approval. It's not man's approval, but God's approval that is important. Paul wasn't interested in man's approval, nor should we be. And then I asked the question, and uh, y'all already heard this. Y'all probably already remember. What other verse do you know that has the phrase approved by God? Y'all remember that? Study. Yes. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now let's stop right there for a moment. Do you have to study to show yourself approved to God in order to be approved in the sense of entering heaven? No, because that is not uh, positional in any sense, is it? This is is the uh, sanctification part. We're talking about experiential sanctification. We're approved by God the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. If I was going to ask you a question with regards to soteriology, I might ask you the question... Based on what? Why are you approved by God the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ? Because in that instant, you receive God's what? God's righteousness. And where would you go in the Bible to find that? (laughs) Right. And Romans 4, 5 says, But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is reckoned as righteousness, or credited as righteousness. I'm not going to give up on you. You have. You all are doing a lot better. Like I said, another year or two. We'll have it by George. I know it's going to be It's getting to the point where every time I said, what verse is that? Y'all are going to start quoting from the Torah. <laughs> okay. And so it's not, if this, is, this is an experiential sanctification verse. So even after you, after you are approved by God, when you receive the free gift of eternal life through faith alone in Christ alone, what? You still need to be approved by God, don't you? Only this time it's in a different way. It's in an experiential way. If you're going to be experientially sanctified, that means you're going to execute God's plan in your life. You have to do what? Study. You have to spudazzo. You have to be eager. Does just being eager itself mean that you're going to be sanctified? No, because there's a lot of eager beavers out there. They don't know anything. And they're out there really just uh, clouding up the water. They're muddy in the waters because they have a lot of zeal but no knowledge. And they make uh, the rest of believers who do have knowledge, uh, it makes it harder for us because we go into someone that they've already completely confused. They didn't have it right, but they were full of zeal, and the people think they're half nuts anyway. And they think, oh, you're a Christian, and they're already turned off. So it's not just a, a zeal. It's according to knowledge. That's why I like the, the reason that... And, Second uh, Timothy two fifteen it says study because that's acquiring that knowledge that we need so this is talking about <clears throat> we have been approved by God just as we've been approved by God and I'm saying here not that this is not talking about a positional but experiential the Paul and his his cohorts had been tested. And they were approved. They were out there on the front lines. Okay, here's, we're starting new new ground here. Sometimes God brings testing into our lives so that we may be approved, not only by Him, but also by unbelievers watching us. When we maintain our composure and stability under pressure and adversity, the unbeliever takes notice and starts to believe that there must be something to the gospel. you remember the last movie we saw? Uh, the what was it the the best love what was the name of it no greater love no greater love remember that and there was a problem because the guy had uh, married a woman and then she left him just 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 abandoned him he didn't see her for I don't know what was it ten or fifteen years nine years and then by supposedly by chance their lives came back into uh, together they just happened to to uh, Attend a church she was on drugs and all the other things but she had changed and they recognized each other and the whole show they, from that point on was them getting back together he remained unmarried the whole time but she was different and he was not even a believer and there it was really we have it in the library by the way and it's really interesting to see how she handled that how the past how her pastor handled it, and how her friends handled it, but the reason I'm bringing this up because at the very end, the last scene is they are they have accepted one another. They're going to uh, she put her wedding ring back on. They never were really divorced. They came together, and he she was did not push it, but he said, if you'll remember, he said, "I want what you've got." Remember that. That's what this is talking about. That God brings testing into our lives uh, to prove us, to refine us, but also to demonstrate to others that we have something that they don't. We have divine viewpoint. We have the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have resources and power and viewpoint that they don't have. have, They're spiritually dead. There's no way that they could know what's going on if they're an unbeliever. But there's a lot of of believers out there that are not growing spiritually, and they're living just like an unbeliever. They live by their feelings. Every time something happens, they just fall apart. But those believers who are receiving testing from God are really put on the spotlight. God is highlighting this person, and He will allow or even sometimes bring adversity and testing into our lives to show us off. And we have to be ever vigilant not to fall into the old complaining pattern. Well, why does this have to happen to me? And it always happens at the worst time. It's the worst set of circumstances. Aren't we prone to to get into that mode when things happen? But this is a reminder in us, to us, that He brings testing into our lives. The reason that He does it is to refine us, to make us stronger, to advance us spiritually, but also for others to see what they can have. If you keep that... By the way, what I'm describing there is divine viewpoint under undeserved suffering. And when you can maintain your composure... And when you continue to apply doctrine under those circumstances, people notice. Now, they might be noticing and never say anything to you, but they know something's different about you. They may think, don't you ever have any problems? <laughs> well, that's a silly question, isn't it? Everybody has problems, but they did not seem to affect you the same way. There's not the self pity. There's not the groaning and moaning and droning on and on about woe is me. Like you're the only person in the world that has problems. You're up. You're 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 you just can't wait to see how God is going to get you through this one. Are you going through one now? If you are, rather than just being dog faced and full of woe and being blue and melancholy, you. Great! I can't wait to see what God is going to do now. That's the difference. Our next phrase is to be entrusted with the gospel, and here this is this this word really surprised me. Uh, the, the, to be entrusted because the the word here to be entrusted is. Uh, Pistuo, p i s t e u o. It's an infinitive. Remember to do something, to to be entrusted is an infinitive. It means to believe, to entrust, to trust or entrust. And then I have a quote from Spiros Zodiades, the complete word study of the dictionary. And he says it's transitive. It, it's to entrust or commit in trust to someone. In the passive, with the accusative of a thing to be entrusted with something, to have something committed to one's trust or change. Uh, excuse me, charge. Now I guess I need these after all. No. Uh, <clears throat> and you'll notice in that last part there where it says to be entrusted with something, to have something committed to one's trust or charge, You'll see in that 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. You see that? That is our verse. So that's what this is referring to. It's something that is committed to our charge. And, of course, here's a verse that we've gone into in the past. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 goes into this. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses uh, against them. And he has committed, this word here is tithemi, to assign, entrust, or place, or to appoint, to us, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you see how this is essentially the same thing. In other words, we have a commission. We have a job that we are reconciling the world to Jesus Christ because we are his ambassadors. We represent him. And so it is our place to give an accurate presentation of the gospel. You know, I, I need to think of a better way to say it than an accurate presentation because it sounds like you have to get on a soapbox and like you, you're going to give a presentation. you prepared for it and you're ready. Well, you should always be ready, but it's not like giving a presentation because you don't know who you're going to be talking to. You don't know what the circumstances are. You don't know where they need to scratch. In other words, you want to you want to scratch where they itch. In other words... You need to come at a perspective that is pertinent to what they need to hear. They may be a very religious person, know a lot about the Bible, but still be unsaved. You would not talk to that person the same way that you would talk to a person who never has gone to church. They don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. You wouldn't talk to them the same way. So it's really not a presentation. The main thing is this, that you give them accurate information. And you are in tune filled with the Holy Spirit, and you do a lot of asking questions. I've seen people many times give the gospel and they've never asked not one question. And I think that's that they're really losing out on keeping those people engaged. They're losing out on finding out really where they are and what they need to hear. You're going to give them the gospel, give them, give them the information, but it has a lot to do with where... Uh, where they're coming from, what their background is. So they were entrusted with the gospel and at Pistuo uh, to believe. Essentially what it means is God has entrusted us. He has believed in us, trusts us with the most valuable thing on earth, probably, which is his word with regards to salvation. Got that? They were entrusted with that. We are entrusted with it also. And this is what I like. So he says, we're entrusted with it. So look at the next phrase here. So we speak. If you're entrusted with something and it's imparting knowledge to someone, what do you have to do? You have to speak. You have to open your mouth and actually engage in conversation, people. How many chances have you passed? How many chances have opportunities have you let go by because you just weren't sure? Um, you might be embarrassed. Uh, these, these people might not uh, like you. They might think that you're some kind of kook, one of those crazy Christians. Or, or they may ask you a question that you might not know the answer. When Jehovah Witnesses come to your door. How eager are you to greet them say, I can't, I can't tell you how happy I am that you came here because I don't have to seek you out. You come to me. That's fantastic. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm sure that's the way you handle it, right? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Okay. No, that's all right. It's an affinitive here, and the heiress present, AP. Present. Excuse me, uh, heiress passive. Uh, You see, the the infinitive doesn't have, uh, you know, a mood. It's it's got a tense and voice, but no mood. That's okay. Uh, So we have to speak. Have you ever heard the verse, faith cometh by hearing and hearing from the Word of God? So they have to hear it. Now, there are some people, I know a couple in this congregation, that were saved by reading the Bible. And so they actually didn't hear it audibly, but generally speaking, people are evangelized by hearing it. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing means someone has to be speaking. So here, here we have the Greek word to, uh, for speaking, laleo, L-A-L-E-O. It's a verb, present, active, indicative. We are to keep on speaking. We, are, we should be ready to speak at any time, looking for opportunity. The present tense of this verb is so important. We keep on speaking the gospel no matter what. Speaking the truth of God's word will not make you popular, and it's more important than worrying about what others think. What do you think of when you see an opportunity? You're talking to someone, and you want to kind of break the ice, and so you're going to take an opportunity to see if this person is going to be open or not. Now, some people are better at that than others. At least I think they are. Uh, My spiritual gift is up here communicating to you. But there are some of you out there that are expert at breaking the ice and not being a contrived something, you know, like a a canned speech or anything. Uh, I've been with people before uh, going through a, a line checking out and... The cashier would say, uh, "How are you doing today?" And the person would say that was with me, "It's a wonderful day. Every day is a wonderful day if you know Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ?" And I, I was I, I was amazed. I thought that was so natural. That came out so easy. It didn't sound like it was a contrived or anything. And then the, the, the girl said, well, yes, I do. And then they would go take it a little further. And you've got to have discernment as to where they're coming from. Because it's not forcing anything. You're just testing the water to see if that person knows the gospel. If they know Jesus Christ. When I say know Jesus Christ, I'm talking about that they have accepted His atonement for salvation rather than depending on their own works. And if, if, I'm not saying it's a knack. Probably they've just done it more and it becomes easier for them. When I try that, I get I get more nervous then than I do speaking before a couple hundred people. I'm thinking, I don't want it to sound canned or corny. I don't want to say something trite. and I, I just have a harder time at it, but that doesn't excuse it. Have you ever had somebody come to your house, a workman, that was fixing your refrigerator or working on your computer or whatever it may be? Have you ever just sat back and, you know, there's always small talk and talking about this, that, and the other thing, but have you, thought, have you ever thought about, now what can I, can I take this as an opportunity to witness to this guy? Do you ever think that? Well, if you're looking for opportunities, you, you can find them. And so many times you'll talk to people and they're going to let you know if if they're open or if they're negative. What's a sure sign that they're negative? If you start just touching the water a little bit, you say something about... You might even ask them, well, what church do you go to? And right away they do what? Change the subject. That's just saying, hey, I'm not interested. Well, you've done your thing. You've tried. They've shown that they're not interested. You might want to take it a little further as the Holy Spirit leads you that direction. But that's what we need to be doing to speak Speak the gospel. And you don't have to have a canned speak. You should never have the same thing to say every time you give the gospel because you're talking to a different person each time. I, I, you have to give the facts. I'm saying the, you have to give, the, give it accurately. But I mean, the way you say it. I've heard people say, witness exactly word for word every time they, they, they give the gospel. Have you personally believed in Jesus Christ? Well, they ask that to anyone. I mean, I mean that's that's their first thing. That's their that's their opening bit. But what if it's a person that is not familiar with who Jesus Christ is? He might think that you're talking about Jesus down at the filling station, believing believing in Jesus. Well. All I'm saying is I'm trying to exhort you and encourage you to look for opportunities and to speak the gospel because it's your job. It's not just the job of an evangelist. It's not just the job of a pastor. It's your job as well. We had one person that's with the Lord now that was an expert at it. I'll know who I'm talking about. I never did... I never was around Dusty that much to go out with him in all these different places. But a few times that I was around him, he his radar was out. I mean, he was always, and if he saw somebody that he thought he could get to, he, in mid-sentence, I was at Lowe's one time because he used to work uh, walk around Lowe's, and I was talking to him in mid-sentence, and I saw him. You, know, you can tell when somebody, you've lost their attention. We were talking, and all of a sudden, he'd go, like this. he'd locked on someone over here. And I could, I could see it. He said, uh, i got to go talk to this person. <laughs> there he goes, you know. Anyway. We must give it to them full bore, dogmatically, and without reservation. Human viewpoint is contrary to truth and is offensive to arrogant, ignorant people. So what? So what if they get offended? So what if they don't like it? You can't sweet-talk someone into believing or submitting to God. You can't sweet-talk them. You may be talking to an unbeliever, and you're going to say something to him that probably he's not going to like. But you don't soften it in any way. The power is in the gospel when you give it to him correctly. And the gospel is offensive to people who think they don't need it. Religious types, they're the worst. Hardcore, legalistic religion is the hardest because they think, I'm doing fine. I've been confirmed. I've been baptized. I go to church. So, you're not talking about me. You're suggesting that I'm not good enough to go to heaven? Well, I've been confirmed. Confirmed. We live in the midst of people who think that if they have been christened, baptized as a baby, and they have been confirmed because the church has given some kind of little test that they're in. They're depending on that. What is that? In that works? I saw one of these tests one time. A lady, this was probably I don't know, twelve years ago, fourteen years ago, gave me a test that her son had to go through at a certain church in order to be confirmed. And I thought, oh man, this is great. I'm going to look through it. I looked through the whole thing. And you know what the whole thing was about? Morality. There was not one question on the entire. It about six pages, five pages and so forth. There's not one question that had anything to do with spiritual matters. Not salvation, not anything. It was all about morality. And so they they fill out this and it's... a uh, uh, Anybody could could pass it. I don't, I don't know how they grade it, but I mean, it was just, anybody knows what the difference between being immoral and moral. And if you just check the right, well, you're in, and they have a ceremony, and you're confirmed, and in their mind, that's all it takes. And those are the hardest people to reach. Catholics, same way. You know, they, they, they've gone through the razzmatazz. They were required to jump through some hoop, and now they think they're in. And when you come along, you say that is crapola. Well, you don't don't say crapola unless you're you're led by the Holy Spirit to say it. Well, he might. I mean, that might be what it takes to to get through their noggin. What you're essentially saying is. Well, I understand that you did that. You're very proud of that. But, you know, Paul called that dumb. Everything that he did. You know, he was a fair-haired child. He was a rising star. He was the heir apparent with regards to the Pharisees. And once he understood what the game was about, the game of life, he said, I count it all as dumb. And that's what you're really imparting to them if you're doing the job correctly. You have to strip away any of their pretense of being accepted by God for anything that they do. And they are very proud. The religious people are very proud of what they have accomplished. They're standing in the community. And they haven't fornicated. And they haven't committed adultery. And they don't curse. I dare you put suspicion on whether I'm going to heaven or not. You know what? You've, if you've talked to religious people about the gospel, you know what I'm talking about. You might as well be talking to a post. They just don't get it. So you give it to them full bore. I love I love Christ. I love what Christ said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was pontificating. Oh, you know, I've got a PhD. I know all about theology. I mean, let me just tell you about it. And in mid-sentence, Christ says, you must be born again. And he was just... <laughs> what? He... We would say, in our vernacular, he cut to the chase, right? Didn't beat around the bush. He just said, you got to be born again. And then he had to explain to this Theologian, what regeneration was? Who examines the heart? Here we have Manzo again. This is a participle, present active. This is the same root word we have at the beginning of this verse. Only this time, it's a present active participle rather than a perfect passive indicative. So let me go to the Bible in verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. So the English word here is examines. And up here, remember here, it was uh, approved. This is the same root word, dokimazo. Here it's a, a perfect passive indicative, and they translate have been approved. And down here we have. Dokimonzo again. Only this time, it's the a participle, present active, and it's talk, talking about examines our heart. Look at Psalm seven nine. You all know that God does examine your heart, don't you? When was the last time God examined your heart? Do you know? I don't know. All I know is that He does, and I think He does it, well, let me put it this way. He always knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking right now. Is that a scary thought to you? If you are not concentrating at this moment, He knows it. He's always examining your heart. Psalm 7, 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous for... The righteous God tries the hearts and minds. He tries them. You know what He's looking for? Well, he's looking for knowledge, but He's also looking for for the right motivation. It's the attitude that Zig Ziglar used to say. This attitude is so important. He said, "It's the your uh, attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude." Anybody know, if you ever heard of Zig Ziglar? Attitude is everything. And God's always checking it. Proverbs 17:3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. What is your heart? You, you, you know, he's not talking about this pump in here. He's talking about the real you. The dominant portion of your soul where the, the mentality is. Norms and standards. You are what you think, and what you think is your heart. It's where the epinosis doctrine is stored. It's your norms and standards, all this, that's part of your heart, and the Lord checks it. Jeremiah seventeen ten. I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Hebrews four thirteen. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. When was the last time you tried to hide something from God? Obviously, that's a rhetorical question. I don't want to know. And you might say, well, I have never tried to hide anything from God. And now you need to stop and rebound for lying because we've all tried to hide things from God. We think sometimes if we can hide it from everybody else, nobody else will ever know, hey, we're good to go. That's fine. God never sleeps. Revelation 2.23, And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts and will give to each one of you according to your deeds. What you do... Is predicated on what you think. And what you think is predicated upon your motivation. Why are you doing it? See, we can we can look at people and tell what they're doing. We might even try to make a a decision as to what they are doing is right or wrong, but then it starts getting kind of difficult because. Only God can look on the inside and see what the motivation is. We're going to see why that's real important, because in a sharp bit here we're going to get to flattery. And sometimes it's hard to determine whether someone is giving you a genuine compliment or whether they're trying to flatter you. And there is a difference. We can't tell the difference always, but God always can. Okay. Okay. Not much time left. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we we might have asserted our authority. That's the sentence. Two verses long. We look at, for we never came with flattering speech. So that's what I was talking about just a moment ago. Flattering means to praise excessively, especially from motives of self-interest. It's a tool used to manipulate other people. You'd be surprised how much the Bible has to say about flattering. See, flattery is when you say something and you don't really mean it. Husband, you have to be very careful. Your wife comes in with a new hat. That's not a very good example because people, women don't wear hats anymore. Uh, I was just thinking about a real one of Sapphire's hats. Y'all know who Sapphire was? Sapphire was Kingfish's wife. Y'all remember uh, Amos and Andy show? And Sapphire had some wild-looking hats. I mean, <laughs> uh, they were doozies. And she came in one time and asked, uh Kingfish, what do you think of my hat, Kingfish? And it was about a, a, a three or four minute bit with Kingfish shuffling around and trying to figure out what to say. Because uh, he knew he better say the right thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that's a tough one. But it just, uh, I'm making light of it. But really, flattery is a sin. It's a form of a lie. You're saying something to someone with an ulterior motive to aggrandize yourself. It's not honest. We have Psalm 5, 8 through 9. Lord, lead me in thy righteousness because of my foes. Make thy way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Those are pretty strong words, isn't it? He's calling someone that uses flattery. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, destruction in itself. Their throat is an open grave. If you flatter anyone, you are in carnality. You are not grace-oriented. You're trying to do it your way rather than relying on the Lord. Psalm 12, 1 through 3. Help. Lord, (laughs) well, y'all just don't have sense of you or not. I thought that was... Don't you ever... Hadn't you ever thought that? Help, Lord. Or maybe you're more the Lord help kind of person. I don't know. Maybe that's why you didn't see it. Okay. Help, Lord. For the godly man ceases to be for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips, and with a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. Woo! (laughs) Yeah, you need to go put that on all the politicians' doors and see how that goes. Double heart. It says he cut off all flattering lips. Proverbs 7:21 With her many persuasions she and this is talking about a prostitute entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. If y'all know any young men especially teenage, young 20s or early 20s or whatever they need to go to Proverbs chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 because there is a real temptation in these guys to be seduced by the flattery of either prostitutes or young women that have no virtue. That is a great temptation for them. And when you go to Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, or Proverbs 7, he needs to read it. The Word of God is powerful, and I think it will plant a seed in his soul that may protect him from doing something that's going to be disastrous. So the prostitutes use flattering lips. They, they will say things they really don't mean in order to get a John, in order to get the person into their web Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. It ruins the person that you're flattering, and it's ruining you also. You know, I, I, I probably won't get to it because we're getting close to the end, but flattery is so dangerous because it can destroy the one who is doing the flattering as well as the one who is being flattered. To the extent that you seek flattery, that you crave flattery, to that degree you are weak. You you don't need praise all the time. Praise is good if it's genuine and if you deserve it. Some people want to be stroked. They want to be petted. They want to uh, hear flattery because it makes them feel important. It makes them feel good. And if you start depending on that, you've had it because then you're weak. See, what they're saying, when he said, we didn't use flattery. We didn't butter you up so you would like it so that we can manipulate you into believing the gospel. That's not how the gospel is received or given. It steps on people's toes. It's offensive to people. But they've got to get to that point in, under, in order to be in touch with reality. We are scumbags. We are the, uh, the sorriest lot there ever was on our way to hell. And these people who think that they can be approved by God by what, they, by what they're doing can't be given the gospel by flattery. Remember I said you give it to them full-bore? It's not of works. You can't do anything. And to that extent that you're proud of what you do, the harder it is for you to accept the gospel because a person has to be brought to the point to where they need to know that they need salvation. And a lot of these people out here that are faithful churchgoers don't really think they need it. They are maintaining their salvation by their attendance at church. And they're not even saved. Notice, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. We have to be very careful what we say. Words can destroy or they can build up. Romans 16, 17 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. You see where it says they are slaves of their own appetites? That's the Greek word for their emotions. People live by their emotions. Hey, Vidal. Can you go to Romans 16, 17 through 18 and check that word out for me, the Greek word? It would be in verse 18 for appetites. It probably is splognon. Might be colia. Yeah, Romans 16 18. See, it says they're not slaves of Christ, they're slaves to their own emotions. Colia. Okay. See, the, the Greeks didn't have a vocabulary for emotion, so they would use parts of the body. Sometimes they would use a Greek word that would mean the kidneys or the stomach. Cholea means something hollow. It's the same word for womb. And so that's probably talking about the stomach, you know, something hollow that can be filled. So they're slaves of their stomach. And look, and by their move and flattering speech... They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Um, I think what I'll do, I'm, I'm going to stop right here because I'm, I want to say something before I finish that has to do with flattery and I don't have time to go any further, stay within the time constraints. You know, you should, you should always tell people if, if they have done something if they um, look particularly, uh, a woman especially, if she looks particularly uh, pretty, she has a nice dress, uh, her hair is nice or whatever, and you think it, but you don't say it, I think that's wrong. I, I don't know, maybe wrong too strong a, a word, but I think we need to tell people. They need to hear. You know, a woman... Well, I'm getting on thin ice here. But a woman works hard to look that way. Some of them do. (laughs) I guess most... Let me put it this way. They spend a lot of time... I'm digging deeper, aren't I? (laughs) They spend time making themselves look really great. And they come in and you see them and you say, Man, she really looks good. Better than... You know, she just really... It just comes in your mind. But you never tell her, And that would be something that was encouraging to her. And when you tell someone, hey, you really look good today, or those are really fine uh, pants you have on there, or I like your purse, whatever it may be, uh, they're not going to know it unless you tell them. And it's an encouragement to them, but it always has to be genuine. That's different for flattery. Flattery, you could say the exact same thing. Boy, you look good today. Sure, uh, you know that's a pretty breast. I haven't seen you look so healthy in years. Whatever you're telling them, healthy is not so good a word to tell to women. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but anyhow, it, when it's genuine, it's fine. But if you're doing it with an ulterior motive, that you're saying that because uh, you want to borrow some money, or you want to get a job, or whatever it may be, then it's flattery and it is really wrong. You know what? It, you know what it really is demonstrating. That you're not depending on God, you're depending on self, and we are never depend on self. We're always depend on God. And the greatest antidote to flattery. See if you, I'm still telling you. I'm on, I'm putting in the form of a question. Of course, Bible doctrine is the antidote to all these different sins. That's what the Mad Series is about. Mechanics of applying doctrine. For every sin, there is a there is a doctrine. There's a truth that will help. Guard against this particular sin. And you know what it is for flattery? Think about it for a moment. The greatest antidote to flattery is grace orientation. If you're grace oriented, you don't have to butter anybody up. You don't have to make them feel good in order to get what you desire because God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Seek ye first His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. If you're grace-oriented, why would you be flattering anybody? It's depending on the Lord. So, we all know this, so I expect when we all get compliments, at least for the near future, we can consider them to be (laughs) genuine. But I think that's a good idea. I think for men to compliment on their driving sometimes. Oh boy, you all saw the looks I got there. <laughs> See, I don't think we drive bad all the time. There might be a time that we drive right and careful and speed limit and all that. And if we do, I encourage you might. It might encourage us to do it more often. But well, we had a ride on the way here. Um... It was strange. I was driving on 290 and there was a car that came up from behind me and there was a sheriff with his siren and his lights were on. That was at 389 when we first got on. I don't know how far they had been going. but it, And they went all the way to uh, 577 loop up here. And the guy wasn't speeding, but he wasn't pulling over either. Jerry said, you better fall back. There might be some shooting. <laughs> But, of course, I'm brave. I would pray for asking this (laughs) thing. That's that's quite a while for uh, the siren, and he was right on his tail all the way. And I kept trying to get over the heels because I was anxious to see what was going to happen. When we got the 577 loop, finally by the time we got there, he had pulled off to the side. So he did finally pull off. I don't know what the deal was, but the only reason that came into my mind because we were talking about guys being complimented for their good driving. You know, it's it's pretty bad when you got to really think hard of what guys can do to be complicated I mean, to be complimented for. <laughs> oh well. <clears throat> we will continue this about flattery. There's not. Look at all these verses still left. See, there's a lot of verses that the Bible has to say about flattery, but just don't do it. Because if you do it, you are you are carnal. You're not applying doctrine. You're not grace-oriented. And you're not faith-resting. And so the Bible sees it as something very egregious. So we don't want to go there. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to study Your Word. The practical things that mean a lot are not missed by Your Word. Even things like this, like flattery, that some people may laugh at, they may just dismiss. But it's an indication of someone trying to manipulate others to have their way because they're not trusting you. So we pray that you will help us to stay grace-oriented, faith-resting, using divine viewpoint. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.